Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. as I said earlier. He was born and raised in East Dallas and graduated twice from SMU, once in accounting and then in theology. He was ordained here in the North Texas Conference back in 1996 and has served at various churches, including Custer Road United Methodist Church in Plano. He was also the founding pastor at Creekwood United Methodist Church in Allen. He most recently served at Choctaw United Methodist Church in Oklahoma. Um, He has three kiddos that are college age, which means he is broke. And uh, he and his wife, Christy, uh, really enjoy cycling together, bicycle bicycle riding. They've ridden through 10 states and D.C. and four countries. So he'll have some cool cycling stories to tell you, I'm sure. But would you give a warm Roy City welcome, please, to Reverend Andy James. Thank you for that warm introduction, April. And uh, Thank you for your hospitality this morning, um, one, and thank you for uh, supporting Chris and Tracy as they uh, head out for some time of respite and renewal. Um, It's an important thing for a congregation to support its pastor in time of renewal uh, and rest. I know Chris is a big baseball fan, and whenever I stand and come and visit a congregation, I want to teach you something that you will proudly report to your pastor uh, it kind of validates my presence here today. So I want to teach you something. Did you know, do you know what the oldest sport in the, in the Bible is? Baseball. Baseball is the oldest sport in the Bible. We all know how the Bible begins. In the big inning, <laughs> God created. So if you hear nothing else from the rest of the sermon, after that you may not want to hear anything else from the rest of the sermon. But if you hear nothing else, uh, you can, can tell Pastor Chris that you learned something and you can, you can teach him something that I taught you. Uh, as, uh, as April mentioned, my wife Christy and I do a lot of bicycling and I served over uh, 20 years in pastoral ministry, but currently I'm on a, a leave of absence uh, from pastoral ministry, uh, working in uh, the secular space, um, the sacredness of the secular space. Um, but you know, riding a bicycle, you know, you never forget how to ride a bicycle. You just got to get on and pedal. And so there's a sense in which uh, that's what I'm doing today. I'm standing here. I don't usually stand in front of a congregation and uh, deliver a message, but I'm going to stand and pedal among you this, uh, with you this morning, and hopefully we won't fall off uh, and injure ourselves. The scripture I've chosen today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, and I'll be reading from the message translation. To you who are ready for the truth, I say this. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! To you who are ready for the truth, I say this. Love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer for that person. 
If someone slaps you on the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. Here is a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners can do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden variety sinners can do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way your Father lives toward us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind. You be kind. May God bless the reading and our living of God's word this day. I believe that we live today in a kindness recession. Economists define recession as a period of decline and reduced productive economic activity. Fear is both the mark and fruit of a recession. Producers fear that a marketplace doesn't value their product, so they reduce the flow of product to the marketplace. Economists agree that the way out of a recession is to invest in production. Likewise, the way out of a kindness recession is to invest ourselves into living more productively. I don't know about you, but I am weary from the destructive discourse of animus and hostility that is evident in our culture today. All too often on social media, people who claim to be followers of Jesus make comments and share memes that bear no faithful witness to the grace of God embodied in the life and ministry of Jesus. Even if you're not on social media, you don't get a pass on this. Because I believe social media is a reflection of the fabric of the culture that we share today. We rationalize our beliefs, we defend our behavior, and we justify our self-righteousness with a litmus test of select spiritual rules. Yet we dismiss or ignore this truth 
of Jesus. Love your enemies. In the words of Jack Nicholson, we can't handle the truth. Things weren't much different for Jesus in the context of our scripture reading today. In Luke 6, Jesus faces a growing anger at Jesus' demonstrations of mercy and compassion. Jesus faces religious followers who are afraid of things that made them uncomfortable. And Jesus faces a religious elite determined to make things right by tightening their enforcement of their religious values. When I was a kid, enemy lines were drawn in history lessons of military battle and the line of scrimmage when the Cowboys played the Redskins. Today, enemy lines are drawn in fields of politics and ecclesiology. We display publicly an open hostility and apparent deep-seated hatred toward others because of political opinions, personal beliefs, or differences in theology. Why is that? I believe the answer is simply fear. We're afraid of that which is different. We're afraid we might have to give up something that's comfortable to us. We're afraid that we might have to think differently. We might, we're afraid that we may have to let go of our long-held beliefs. We're afraid that we might have to admit that we were wrong. We're afraid that we might have to confront depths of pain and suffering that we'd rather not see. When confronted with fear, we instinctively flee or withdraw because we feel inadequate or because we lack sufficient resources. Time after time throughout the stories of the Bible, God confronts this fear. If we read the stories in the Bible over and over and over again, God speaks the words, to this fear within which we live today. Moses, in his farewell speech before the Israelites enter the promised land, says, don't be afraid and don't panic. God will personally go ahead of you. God won't fail you and God won't abandon you. Isaiah speaks to the exiled people. Fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. In the Gospels, angels speak to the shepherds, don't be afraid. Jesus sends out his disciples with this word, don't be afraid. The angels speak to the women coming to the tomb, don't be afraid. Paul encourages young Timothy by saying, God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love. 1 John 4, 18 says this, there is no room in love for fear. There is no room in love for fear. Say that with me. There is no room in love for fear. Again, there is no room in love for fear. And why is that? Doesn't matter what translation you read, the message in this is the same. Well-formed love banishes fear. Perfect love expels fear. Perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. 
Real love for others will chase those little worries away. We shouldn't be afraid to be about the business of loving people. In Luke 6, 31, in the message translation, Jesus gives us a rule of thumb for behavior. Jesus says, ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Jesus doesn't say, what do you want people to think about you? Or how do you want people to feel about you? Or what do you want people to believe about you? Jesus says, ask yourself what you want people to do for you. The New Living Translation says it this way. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Love isn't a thought or a feeling or a belief. Love is an action. Love is demonstrating mercy and compassion for people. Even when the people look different than we do, believe different than we do, or act different than we do. Jesus describes love like this. When someone gives you a hard time, because it's going to happen, when someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you on the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat, and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff, Jesus says. Love your enemies. Seven years ago, I had a privilege of traveling with a mission team to the country of Peru. We spent a week in and around the city of Pucalpa. Pucalpa is a town on the western part of the country of Peru, located at the kind of a, uh, an Amazon tributaries, uh, all meet right there, these, the Amazon River, but then all these little tributaries, these fingers of, of water that, that lead to these remote, uh, remote villages. Um, and the, the, the Bible Institute was a place where we served in Pucalpa, and, and the Bible Institute was a place of community for people from these vast, disparate uh, villages, these, these indigenous villages, uh, tribal villages, and people have lived in isolation in these very remote areas for generations. So people would come from these villages and they would, they would live in community at the Bible Institute. They would live together for seven or eight weeks and live in community and they would have, have teaching and, 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 and classroom time and, and, and life together as community and then they would, then they would go back to their, their tribal village, their, their, their native tribal village and they would put into practice what they learned about Christian theology and, 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 and ministry. Then they would, they would come back and live together in, in community for, for eight weeks and then they would go back to their village and they continued this rhythm for a period of three years to complete the program at the Bible Institute. 
And the weekend we were there on, on, on Saturday night was what they called family night. And everyone from the, from the Bible Institute and the family members who were with them would gather together for, uh, for a time of, of fellowship and, and singing and dancing. The best way I could describe it, it was like talent show at church camp. The, the, the groups from the, the various tribes, they would wear their, 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 their native colors and, 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 and unique uh, clothing that, that represented the, the heritage and the, of their tribal village, and they would... They would, they would dance, and they would sing, and they would beat the drums, and they would play instruments, and, and this went on one after another after another. And the last group that performed was kind of the group of the individuals, people who were there at the Bible Institute by themselves. And so instead of having a, a period of solos and a talent show, they all got together to, to sing and dance and make a contribution uh, to the festivities of family night. Our host shared with me a background story to understand the significance of what was happening in that act. He said the individuals, the, the young men who were individuals in, in this group, came from tribes that for three generations had warred with each other. He said the, the young men who were there literally, their Parents, their, their fathers and their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers had, had, had warred, had done battle, and tried to kill each other. Yet here on family night in the Bible Institute, they were singing and dancing. They had learned in the Bible Institute the value of kindness and loving their enemies. You know, in the passage that, that, that I read from, from Luke 6, Jesus confronts our capacity to love. He said, if you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back for that? Any run-of-the-mill sinner can do that. Jesus says, if you only help those who helped you, do you, do you expect a medal? Garden-variety sinners can do that. Jesus said, if you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. My friends, when it comes to being agents of incarnational love in a broken world, run-of-the-mill and garden variety just aren't good enough. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 Jesus says, you've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus continues in Matthew 5, he says, if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? My friends, God created you out of love. God made you in an image of love. God gives you the ability to love, and God gives you the power to love, and God expects you to love. God didn't create you, make you, and give you the ability and the power to love without expecting you to put that into practice by loving 
And God expects you to love people who are hard to love. Live out this God-created identity, Jesus says, the way the Father lives toward us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. You want to know the truth? When I'm at my worst, I'm not easy to love. At all. There are a long list of people who can testify to that. When I'm at my worst, I'm not concerned with anyone's well-being except my own. When I'm at my worst, I'm absolutely selfish. When I'm at my worst, I say and do things that are hurtful to others. I am deeply ashamed of many chapters in my life story because of that. Yet God loves me generously and graciously. Not because I deserve it. Not because I've earned it by any standard of merit. But even when I'm at my worst, God pours God's loving kindness into my life. Paul says it this way as he writes to the church in Corinth. Love is patient and love is kind. Thank God for that. Our Father is kind. You, be kind. Do you want the truth of how to live more productively and help get us out of this kindness recession? Love your enemies, Jesus says. You'll never regret it. I promise. Let's bow for a prayer. Oh God, these are difficult times in which we live. Some may say it's the worst of times in which we have lived. But even when we're at our worst, You pour out your loving kindness in our lives that we might know just how deeply we are loved. Give us the strength 
and the courage this week, oh God, to be kind. Help us to dig deep and show mercy and compassion to those that we encounter this week. Not just the people that we like, but even the people who are hard to love. Help us to be kind to those who are different from us. Help us to be kind to those with whom we disagree. And in so doing, O oh God, help us to bear witness to your love in this world. That we might know the joy and the hope of life in your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.